All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks, Philippa, for leading us in that time of prayer. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit different, maybe not quite your, what you were expecting. Um, but really, I've just gone all out to make Philippians come alive. It's the last sermon in our series, and hopefully you're aware by now, but Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul uh, from prison. Uh, but most likely, it was actually house arrest. He would have been locked in a small room, uh, able to receive supplies from friends and would have been constantly uh, guarded. And so here I am, I'm quarantining in Darwin. Um, I'm locked in a bit of a nicer apartment. Um, I have a very special friend who is delivering supplies each day. And uh, I'll tell you what, the police have not been here just yet, but I'm sure they will when they discover that a guy from Melbourne is here. Um, I did make it very clear on my forms, don't worry. Um, but no, in all seriousness, uh, once the border situation changed earlier this week, uh, there was a slight window where I felt like I could get here, I could quarantine, I could spend some time with Jo uh, before she goes to a remote community for three months. So um, yeah, I just jumped at it. Thanks to the leadership team and to our staff and other leaders who have just been flexible um, it's allowed me to yeah come obviously I'll still be working for the next couple of weeks and um, still be connecting with different things online um, and then I'll enjoy uh, some time of leave before uh, coming back um, but I'm really excited for this morning I'm really excited to be able to preach uh, on this passage and to preach uh, this last sermon in Philippians and we're going to be looking at one of the most popular verses currently in the world Philippians 4.13. No doubt you've heard it, you've read it, someone shared it with you. Uh, you would have seen Scott and Josh talk about it earlier. Maybe you've got it tattooed somewhere on your body. Um, you know, no judgment, not quite my style. But um, it is extremely popular. It's one of the most searched verses online in the world. In the top five most searched verses. People constantly turn to this verse for for hope and for reassurance. It's an encouraging verse. It's a verse that we can declare with faith, a verse that we can, uh, you know, a promise that we can hold on to. I mean, you can all say it with me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's great. It's a, such an encouraging verse. And yet it is a verse that I believe is deeply misunderstood in our culture and in our world. And uh, a, a verse that we need to really look at to get the, the look at the context like Josh and Scott told us we need to look at the context to get the real meaning of this verse and so in a moment we're going to look at the the passage and get the textual context um, but what I want to just take a moment is to look at this remember the situation and the context there you see this is a letter a very personal letter written by a real person the Apostle Paul to a, a real church who uh, in, the, in Philippi, he's writing from prison or from house arrest, and he's writing to a church that, by all counts, they seem to be a great church. They're doing a lot of good things, and yet there are still dangers. In chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, like, look out for the evildoers. Look out for the dogs, for those who mutilate the flesh. Most likely, this is a reference to people who are distorting the gospel who was saying that you have to do these good works, you have to follow the law, you have to be circumcised to be a Christian. And Paul is writing to the church to encourage them to stay focused, not to get caught up in the different 
uh, winds of, of teaching, but to stay focused on the good news of great joy. Now, we might not be in danger of that kind of message. You know, there's not people that are going around nowadays saying you have to be circumcised to be a Christian. But there is another distortion of the gospel that happens, and that is very common here in our Western society. And it's a distortion that takes verses like this, Philippians 4.13, and other verses like it, and it begins to twist these verses to make it all about us. And in doing so, we distort and we dilute the gospel. For example, uh, we see it particularly in the sports arena. Uh, probably most popular, one of the most popular was in the 80s and 90s, a boxer named Evander Holyfield. Uh, he rocked up to a fight with Mike Tyson. He's donning this purple robe. Uh, it has Philippians 4.13 on the sash. And he's a massive underdog. His odds were 25 to 1. Uh, he's going against Mike Tyson, you know, this sort of guy who served his prison sentences. Uh, quite a, you know, not the greatest moral example. And so he's a Christian guy who's saying, you know what, I can do this because Christ gives me strength. In fact, he actually ended up winning. And this is what he said in the interview afterwards. With God on your side, the things you choose to do, you can do. Why? Well, because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That was his belief. That was his thinking that this verse allowed him to win that fight. Probably more recent example would be a basketballer, Stephen Curry. He has this verse written on his shoes often. Uh, it says, I can do all things. And someone asked him about it. And this is what he said. It is a mantra that I live by and something that drives me every single day. It'll hopefully inspire people to find something that drives them, whether that's a verse or some other motivating force that keeps you hungry and keeps you driven. That's mine, and you can pick whatever yours is and let that drive you as you continue with basketball or whatever field you're in in life. Now, look, I, I, I've read a bit more about Stephen Curry and his faith, and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit, but... Is that all this verse is? Is it just a motivating mantra to drive you forward in your career? One last example. This is an example within the church. See, that's my, my, my fear with this sort of thinking is not just out there. It's also within the church. And this is an extreme example, but it is an example of the kind of thinking that is around in church. It's from Joel Osteen in his devotional on this verse. He says, most people tend to magnify their limitations. They focus on their shortcomings. But scripture makes it plain. All things are possible to those who believe. That's right. It is, it is possible to see your dreams fulfilled. It is possible to overcome that obstacle. It is possible to climb new heights. It is possible to embrace your destiny. You may not know how it will take place. You may not have a plan. But all you have to know is that if God said you can, you can. And the very next line is this verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now there is some truth in that statement, but I believe the overall message of the gospel is being twisted to suit ourselves, to suit our own passions and our own life. Throughout the years, the Bible is not a story like Disney, which I think our culture takes to, tends to like push us to believe that this is a story that's all about you. And we read it, 
we read this book with a, with a me-focused lens. And, you know, instead of a fairy godmother or Tinkerbell or something like that, we take the gospel and we say, well, if I just believe, then I'll get what I want. I'll achieve my dreams. I'll live happily ever after. I'll be in luxury and security forever. But I do not believe that that is a message of Jesus. No, that is not the gospel. That is not the total picture of the Bible. So we're going to have a look at the passage now. We're going to read Philippians 4 verses 10 to 20 to get, a, get the context of what this verse is all about. Uh, June is going to be reading for us, so I encourage you to open your Bibles and read along with us. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at once you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learnt in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learnt the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit in, that increases into your credit. I have received full payment and more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant, fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and ple pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Awesome. Great job, June. Some big names in there, some foreign words, but really good job. Um, so if you didn't pick it up, this passage is all about contentment. And there are three things that I want to focus on over our time together. One is that we can be content in all things through Christ. Two, we need to learn how to be content. And that three, that the church is to work together practically in this. So first off, being content in all things through Christ. Did you catch that first paragraph? Verses 10 to 13. Paul is sharing about how he's content in all things. When you've been brought low, when you're in abundance, whether you're facing plenty or facing hunger, in any and every circumstance, we can be content. We can move through this circumstance, whatever it may be, because we can do all things through Him who gives us strength. That is a totally different picture of what that verse is all about. So maybe a better understanding of Philippians 4.13 would be this. I can face all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
This is how Eugene Peterson translates this verse in the message, and I think it's spot on. He says this, Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Once again, it's more on the circumstances and being able to face all things through Christ. Now, the problem, like I mentioned before, is that too often we approach the Bible and we approach verses like this heavily shaped by our culture and by our world. And we need to be aware of this influence. We need to be aware that we can read a verse like this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we read that with the wrong emphasis. We read that with a me emphasis. Yet we are to read God's word with a Christ emphasis. See, we hear, I can do all things. And we go, yes, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Ah, let's go for it. I'm going to pray my prayer, shoot my shot. You know, happy days. I can do all things. And it's this motivation. It's this inspiration. And it's all about me. But what if we heard it a bit differently this morning? What if we read that verse a bit differently? If we read it in context and we read it with a Christ focus? That there will be times of hunger. There will be times of plenty. Times of abundance. Times of need. And Christ will give you strength. So that you can do all these things. See this verse and... This book in general is not meant to glorify you. It is meant to glorify Christ. So Christ, in any and every circumstance, will strengthen you in such a way that glorifies Him, not glorifies you. I'm sorry, but we are not the central characters of this story. It's not about you. You cannot just do whatever you want and invoke this promise that you can do all things through Christ. And whether you're shooting threes or whether you're punching people, that if you just trust Jesus, he will give you the strength to do it. Like, that's not how it works. Like, God is not on your team. You've been brought onto God's team. And there's a big difference. And I know that might sort of push on a few people, but God is not on your team. You've been brought onto God's team. We don't just go on living our lives, but now with God's blessing. No, instead, we were actually going the opposite way to God. And He, by His grace, has saved us. And so now our lives are completely turned around. And we live differently because of the gospel. See, the good news is not focused on you or me. But the good news is about Jesus Christ. I mean, just have a read through Ephesians 2, the first 10 verses. It says that we are dead in our sins. That we were children of wrath. That we were going along with the rest of the world. Following the passions of our flesh. And yet God by his grace reached out and saved us. In his love. We are saved by grace. Not by faith. Not by by our works. Sorry. Not by our works. So that no one can boast. Like we don't get to boast. We don't get. It's not about us. It's 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 a book and it's a grace and it's a gospel that makes God look good. Read through Ephesians 2, like we are not painted as the heroes. God is. He's the central character. He is the one that's glorified. He is the one that is magnified and exalted. And so when we read these verses, we need to approach it in the same way. In a way that glorifies, magnifies and exalts Christ. Not in a way that's all about me.
So beware, beware of that teaching in our world that seeks to make this book all about us. Because if we are doing that, we are on this path that can quickly distort the gospel and dilute the good news. Now, I know I've spent some time sort of deconstructing the the misconceptions of this verse and the ways that we can translate it wrongly. But but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. These verses should still be hugely encouraging for us and hugely reassuring. Because it's saying that, you know, we all face these different circumstances and we all face different seasons in life. We know that. And yet these verses say that we can be content. We can face them. We can move through them. We can be happy. We can find joy in Christ who strengthens us. That is hugely encouraging for us. And the the devil will seek to twist that truth and to make it all about us as we talked about. But I also believe that the devil works in a subtle way. And this is more common in our circles. Where we avoid this verse because we feel like it's being misused and abused. We feel like it's cliche and we're a bit more sophisticated. So we don't quote it. We don't talk about it. We don't share it with others. Because you know what? We understand the context. We know that the verse is not quite saying that. But no, the verse still says God will give you strength. The verse still says that Christ is one who can get us through these times. It is still encouraging for us. And so these words where it says that Christ strengthens us, the literal meaning is to make able or to impart ability to empower. So what it's saying is that God will give us the strength. He will empower us to be content in any and every circumstance. A couple other references to this word empower or give strength. We see them in the New Testament. Paul is one of the main ones who uses this word. That's what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. There's this link between the strength of God and the presence of God. And also, so that there's a purpose. We see the similar thing in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong. There's that word again. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So it's clear that like God is the one who strengthens us. We are to find our strength in him through his presence. He gives us armor. He gives us practical things to work on, to, to put on. But it's his strength. And his strength has a purpose. His strength is that we would live with Jesus and live for Jesus. It is a strength to proclaim him, to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. God will give you strength. I believe that. God will strengthen us, but for a purpose, to live with him and to live for him. Now, the danger is, is I think too often we treat God's strength like a, like a power supply for a, for a laptop. You know, as soon as I unplug my laptop, the screen dulls. It gets a bit darker. It reduces the brightness to conserve the battery, which begins to drain. 
and uh, it goes well for a while, but then it starts getting like closer to 10%. That's usually the time when I start to panic and I run to get my charger because I don't want it to die on me suddenly. And then eventually I let it charge up. I unplug it again. I go sit on the couch. I use my laptop again and this cycle continues. You know, I think for, for most of us, we know that like God gives us strength and joy and it comes from being plugged into him. You know, particularly on a Sunday morning, like we, we remember what it's like to gather in person and to sing and to praise God and to pray and to connect and encourage one another. And it's such like an uplifting thing. You feel strengthened. Your faith feels built up. And, you know, we're ready to shine bright. But as the day goes on and as Monday hits, the strength begins to drain. The screen gets a bit dull and we find ourselves longing for that moment again. And I believe that that's an exhausting cycle. Like that is not what Paul is talking about here. That's not the kind of strength that Jesus offers. It's just for a moment or just for a particular thing. Like this is strength for every day, for every moment, every circumstance. Jesus can give us strength to get through and to live with him and to live for him. So I want to encourage you to stay plugged in, to stay connected to Jesus. Our strength is found in Him alone. Nothing else can fill you up. Nothing else can energize you. Nothing else can strengthen you like God can. So stay connected. You know, I had this, this the other week where, you know, it was a Tuesday. We were just before a leadership meeting and I was just feeling so stressed out. I was, you know, just getting worried about all the different news that was going on and I was just getting a bit anxious and you know I just found myself turning to other things so much more than turning to God I would you know try and relax by you know listening to some music or you know just going out and reading or going for a walk and stuff and it was actually this sense of like no I just need to turn to God and and, you know Andrew's message talked about this last week and it was so timely for me and so you know I just sat by the piano and just played this song for like 10 minutes and you know it wasn't a hugely magical moment but there was just a sense of like God's presence and this strength that you know nothing nothing changed but everything changed within me I recognized that God gave me strength God gave me peace so will we turn to him you know what no matter what your circumstance is this morning let us turn to God and find strength in him and him alone he'll give it he'll give you strength not just to, not necessarily to, to, you know, do whatever you want, to chase your dreams, to shoot threes and to, to win championships. It's strength to live with Jesus and live for him in every circumstance, in every season, even in this lockdown, even in this struggling time, we can turn to him and find strength. Now, that may mean that you shoot threes and you win championships. You know, the verse says, like, you may face plenty, you may face abundance, and praise God, proclaim Him in that situation. But it may also mean that you lose the championship next year, maybe in an embarrassing fashion. And still in those times, in those low moments, when we're in need, when we're in hunger, we're still to praise God, we're still to be content in Him and proclaim Him because He gives us strength. Now, I know that's 
probably enough, but I just wanted to touch on two things quickly as well. The second and third point are a lot shorter than the first, so don't worry. The second thing that Paul talks about is about learning contentment. See, I, I, I believe firmly that God can give us that strength and that contentment in a moment. But I also believe that it's something that we need to learn. It's something we need to practice. Just like we heard last week, Paul writes here in verse 11, For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's saying that he's learned this. It's taken time. It's taken work. It's something he's had to learn. You know, I think... Especially for us, we need to learn how to be content because we live in a world that teaches us to be discontent. Let me say that again. We need to learn to be content because our world teaches us to be discontent. You know, what if over the next six weeks we take it as an opportunity to learn to be content? See, everything around us will scream discontent everything within us will probably cry like discontent and look don't get me wrong there are some very real pains and very real reasons why we can why we will be discontent in these next few weeks and in this world like we are not meant to live in lockdown we are living in a broken and sinful world so there are very real reasons for being discontent but what if there is a measure of contentment that we can learn that isn't based on our circumstances, but it is based on our Christ who gives us strength. See, Paul gives us a great example in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I encourage you to read it later on. He talks about having this thorn in his flesh. And it's unclear what that means, but he's clearly in pain. He's clearly discontent, and he cries out to God three times for God to take it away. And he doesn't. Nothing changes Jesus just says to him, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Keep going, keep trusting. And so Paul continues on. And he seems to be content that, okay, that's not changing, but I'm trusting that Jesus has said he will be with me. Jesus has said that his grace is sufficient. Jesus has said that his power is made perfect in my weakness. So I'm going to continue on. And may that be us. May our joy, may our strength, may our contentment not be based on our circumstances, but based on Christ and what he says. You see, in our world, we are always chasing after the bigger, the better, the next experience, the next high, the next adventure, the new, the exciting, the promotion, the upgrade, the pay rise, the improvement. We're always chasing after accumulating this or achieving that and in a way I, I feel like we've got sucked into this discontent where we're never satisfied we never have enough may we learn instead how to be content in Christ you know I've seen it in generations before me who didn't have close to what we have and yet were happy they were satisfied they were content you know, I've seen it in countries overseas where people living in poverty, like they've learned to be content. Like, of course they want a better house. Of course they want a better job. You know, they're, they're, not, they're not like blind to their struggle and to their suffering. 
they're still discontent in a way, but they've learned this contentment. They've learned how to have joy in what they have and in the moment. And more often than not, that joy is based on their faith. See, if our contentment is based on our circumstances, well then beware. We've seen, haven't we, how quickly our circumstances can change. But if we can learn this contentment that is based on Christ, who doesn't change, who is the same yesterday, today, forever, who is you know, always there. And because he's always there, it means he can always give us strength. And because he is a solid rock, all other ground is sinking sand. Let us build our lives on him. Who's faithful, who's dependable, reliable, who's good and loving and true. You know, I encourage you to get practical with this. Like Andrew talked about last week, that this is something we need to practice. This is something we are to learn. Maybe today you can make a list of things that you're thankful for. Maybe every day you can just list up. You know, I did this a few years ago where on the back of my bedroom door I had butcher's paper and every day I wrote something that I was thankful for. And I had to be something different every day to make it a bit more challenging and creative. But it just helped me to see that actually there's good in this world. There is good in my life and I can give thanks and praise to God. Maybe the practical step is to live more simply. Maybe we actually make conscious decisions not to chase after that property or chase after that promotion or that upgrade or chase, chase after you know those new clothes or that new adventure. Or we actually learn to just be content that this is what I have and we're making decisions to live more simply. Or maybe the practical step is to be more generous with what we have. That we don't hoard what we have and we don't sort of get content. Well, now I've got all this, so I'm happy. Like we actually learn to be generous. What is the practical step for you to learn how to be more content? It's a good thing for us to think about. So we need to be content in Christ in all circumstances. We need to learn how to be content. And lastly, we need to recognize that the church has a role to play. You see, obviously, Jesus is the one in whom we find true contentment. but And he's the one who gives us strength. But more often than not, what I believe is that Jesus actually works through his hands and his feet. He works through his people, the church. Like we cannot ignore this part of the passage. We see a needy Christian who has helped by generous Christians. Paul didn't ask for the help. He, in a way, says, look, I didn't really need it. But the Philippians saw an opportunity. It says that they revived their concern. They shared in his trouble. They sent this gift to Paul. Needy Christians are to be helped by generous Christians. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8. For I do not mean that others should be erased, eased, and you should be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, whoever gathered little had no lack. If you have plenty, how are you sharing with those in need? If you're in need, how are you allowing the church to share with you? How are you reaching out and asking and letting others know of your struggle? 
this is part of the good news. Like it is good news if you're in need because you've got brothers and sisters who are called to care for you. And it's good news if you're someone who has plenty and abundance because you've got brothers and sisters that you're called to care for. And Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And he also says that, you know, one day the tables might turn and you'll be the one in need. And how great that you have brothers and sisters who will care for you. See, this is a big part of the gospel, of the good news, that it's not just about justification and forgiveness, but really the height of the gospel is adoption, that we are called children of God. And part of that is that we are adopted into a family. Brothers and sisters all around the world, all throughout history, who are witnesses and who work alongside us. 1 Corinthians 12, it says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Or in James 2, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Or 1 John 3, By this we know love, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's it's pretty clear. Like We've been saved by Jesus, so we're family. We're a body. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are together in this, and we are called to love one another, to serve one another, to care for each other and to encourage. And especially now, especially in this troubling time where so many are in need. Not only is this good news, but this is great joy. You know, this has been our theme throughout Philippians and it's been a key focus of Paul's in this letter, this theme of joy. And yet when you look through Philippians and you look at every time you see the word joy or rejoice, so many of these verses have to do with the horizontal relationship. It's not just a vertical thing. It's not just rejoice in the Lord, but it's also joy that's found in these relationships that we have. We even see it in verse 10 of chapter 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you revived your concern for me. Paul rejoices in the Lord because of the church and their care. We saw it in chapter 1 where Paul thanks God in remembrance with joy. Why? Because of their partnership. In verse 19 of chapter 1, Paul says, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance. It's not just... God's help, but it's also because of the prayers of the church that Paul finds joy knowing that God will work. In chapter 2, complete my joy. How? By being of the same mind. Chapter 3, receive him, that's Epaphroditus, in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. So it's receiving and joy. Therefore, in chapter 4, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. It's very clear throughout this letter that Paul's joy is not just based on God, but it's also linked to the people around him, to the church, to the brothers and sisters 
the family that he's been called into. Maybe the same is true for us. If we're really to experience this joy, it's not just about being connected with Jesus. It's also being connected with our brothers and sisters. Now, don't get me wrong, the church is far from perfect. And it will never be perfect here on earth. Uh, Broken people fill the church. We make mistakes. We're still prone to wonder, prone to sin. But I still believe that the church can lead us to joy when we do church well. When we love and care for each other like God's word instructs us to do. You know, the church has been the cause of much pain and and we can't hide that. But I also believe that the church has been the cause of much joy when we take seriously the words of Jesus and when we love and when we are generous. When we believe the good news of great joy and live from that place. How can you practically, generously love those in our church this week? You know, I know we're in lockdown, but... How can we love each other? How can we encourage each other? How can we care for one another? I encourage you to talk about that with your partner. Talk about that with your family or with your life group. And not just talk about it, but to do it. Because in the end, this is what pleases the Father. Paul writes in verse 18 that this gift sent by the Philippian church to him, that it is a fragrant offering. It is a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You know, just like any parent is overjoyed when their children are finally sharing with one another and playing nicely and getting along and loving each other, so too our Heavenly Father is pleased when we generously love those in need and we look after His children. So we're going to finish off with this song. This is a special project that our music team have put together um, and I encourage you to sing along and notice the shift in the language from I to we where we sing we love you Lord we pour out our praise and we give thanks to our worthy king for what he has done but it also becomes this prayer may I and then may we be a sweet sweet sound in the ear of God. Or in the words of Paul, may we be a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God by the way that we live and the way that we love. So sing along with us.